here in a mini-series on evangelism, witnessing, soul winning, <coughs> getting the gospel out as individuals, personal evangelism. And we'll be in John chapter number 4. Jesus made it a point to go through Samaria. Samaria was between southern Israel and northern Israel, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom in the Old Testament. Samaria is in the middle. And in Jesus' time, in the New Testament era, Samaria was kind of a half-breed bunch of people that the Jews didn't really like, and the feeling was mutual. And so the Jews from the south, going from Judah up to the northern part, to Galilee, <clears throat> they would often cross over the Jordan River on the east side and go up on the east side of Jordan so they wouldn't have to travel through that blasted Samaria. They just didn't like those people. And Jesus made it a point on this particular trip that we're going to read about. He went through Samaria on purpose. And when he got there, he met up with a certain woman at the well of Samaria and apparently had intended to go through there for the sole purpose of meeting this woman at the well. And he spoke to her about sin and her need for a Savior. He told her about the spiritual water that you'd never thirst for again if you drank of that water. She understood what he meant by salvation. She understood that her religion was not quite enough and that she needed the Lord Jesus. After showing her the way of salvation, she was so elated she dropped her water pots that she had brought out of the city to that well to draw water. She dropped her water pots and went excitedly into the city and began to testify about what Jesus had done for her. Now Jesus is at the well alone at this point, and the disciples who had gone into town to buy some food came back. And he told them, after saying, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Talking about something that's satisfying, more satisfying than food. And he told them this, that they need to look up and see a field of souls ready for harvest. And that's where we'll read. (coughs) I gave you the recap of the first part. Now, in verse 25... <clears throat> we, leave, we start here with where the woman is about to leave. Verse 25, The woman saith unto him, I know that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples and marveled that he talked with the woman. Well, she was a Samaritan. What's he doing talking to her? Yet no man said, What seekest thou? Or why talkest with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city and saith unto the men, Come and see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed to him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore said the disciples, One to another hath any man brought him out to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Probably those fields were very green at the time. The grain was not ripe, and harvest time would have been around April, and so they have a little early harvest there. And so Jesus is talking about, look on those fields. You see they're green, but you know how it goes. Uh, in about four months, it'll be time for harvest. He said, Behold, I, I say unto you, lift up your eyes. I want to make that the title of our message tonight. Lift up 
your eyes and look on the fields for they are white already to harvest. Let's pray right there. Father, I pray that you'd bless us as we come to thy word. Lord, we know that our opinions and feelings, our emotions, and our traditions don't mean much. But Lord, your word means everything. And so tonight we pray that your word would find a dwelling place in our heart that would change our attitude and our actions. And Lord, may we be ever conscious of the harvest of souls that you saw that day, that that woman would be saved and that she'd go back and tell others and they'd be saved. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to have that same kind of thrill in our, in our hearts because we've heard the word of God tonight. We pray that you'd bless in a wonderful and mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here, <laughs> Jesus encounters the woman who needs the message that he has for her and she gets saved right then and there. I was in India and we had preached at a couple of different places and we preached a dedication service. Uh, it was a night service. They'd fed us and after the preaching was over, while the preaching was going on, I think it was Brother Brown that was preaching at this particular time and they had a little building that would have been about as wide as maybe from right here over to that wall, concrete block building and maybe as long as from here back to Brother Denny on the back row and for the front they just had a few wood pallets scattered around for a platform for the preachers to stand on and elevate them a little bit so that the crowd could see them. The crowd was, the building was full and people were sitting on the floor as they do in a lot of churches in India because they didn't have chairs. They didn't have a concrete floor I don't think the best I remember I believe it was a dirt floor and they had those those little wood pallets laid out all across this end for the singers and the preachers to stand on Brother Brown was preaching everybody is shoulder to shoulder and knees folded and knees into the back of the person in front of them all the way from front to back I'm sitting over about in this section all the way over on the platform facing the crowd and I got a chair, a folding chair sitting on the platform and there were several of us seated there and right maybe four feet in front of me was a little boy. Uh, I mean the place was full but just little brown eyed, black haired, dark skinned Indian boy sitting about four feet from me and through the whole service he's just gazing into my eyes and he's just looking at me like man I'm, I'm in heaven I get to see the Americans and so the preaching is over. We go back out and, uh, and, we, and we eat. And then we get in the car to leave and go to another place. And while we're sitting, in the, I'm in the back seat of the uh, SUV. And, and we're waiting on a couple of the other preachers to get loaded up. And I'm sitting there just looking down. I don't remember if I was looking uh, at a book or a Bible or something. But I'm looking down. And I believe it was Frank Mulford, uh, pastors up in Missouri. He I reached over and punched me. He said, Brother Brooks, look up. And I looked up through the window, and there's the face of that little brown-eyed boy staring through the window at me. The American preacher sitting in the back seat, and here's this little boy. He's just, the, the Indian people were thrilled to get to see some white-skinned Americans, and he didn't speak English, but the little boy's looking in at me. And we had been advised not to give money to any of the people because if you in India, if you ever pull out some money to give some, somebody, whoosh, they all just rush in and throng you and, and, and you'll go away broke and, and maybe hurt because they'll, they'll rush you for money. Those people are starving, a lot of them. And so I'm thinking, well, I, I can't give him any money, uh, but he's looking at me with his eyes, with a longing in his eyes, like, like he expects something. And so I'm thinking, what do I do? I can't, can't give him money. They'll all get mad at me. And, and so I reached in my pocket and I had a gospel tract. And I pulled that gospel tract out and held it up to the window. And he nodded his head and smiled real big. I rolled the window down, gave him the gospel tract. And that little fellow walked away like he was a millionaire. His heart was full. His face was beaming. Now I'll tell you that story to say that when you look up, Look around at the people around us. There's a lot of hungry eyes out there. As we talked about Solomon and his experiments finding satisfaction in life, 
there's a lot of people that have that desire in them, that vacuum, that God-shaped hole that longs for eternity. It longs to know God. And they may long for, they know not what, but we know they're really longing for God. They may not know it, and they may say they're not interested in God, but when they find out that that's really their need and they surrender to the Lord, they find out that's what they needed all along. And so when we look up, as Jesus looked up and saw that woman at the well and the, the folk from town who came out at her testimony, and as Jesus <coughs> excuse me, looked up and he told his disciples, now you look up, look up, look on those fields. They're white under harvest. There are a lot of souls out there. Maybe, maybe those men coming from town at the testimony of the woman that, that she had met the Messiah. She had met the Christ himself. And at her testimony, they thought, well, we can at least go look. She may be, she may be as dad used to say, she may be buffalo in us, but it's worth a look. And so they came out to see Jesus. Maybe in their long white robes as they're coming out of town, maybe that triggered in Jesus' mind, the fields white under harvest. And he looks at all those people and he says, look, the, the fields are already white under harvest. There are a lot of souls out there that need to be saved. And, and it hadn't been for that woman that went back in town and told them that she had met the Messiah, they would have remained in their lost condition. But the Bible says that many of them believed because of her testimony that this is the very Christ. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, we need to look around, boys. There's a lot of souls out there that need somebody to look up and see them and care for them and witness to them, testify to them that there is a Savior. That's what we want to talk about tonight. If we, in our own heart, can get a fire burning, a fire burning that causes us to want to tell others about Jesus, then we've accomplished a great deal in just kindling that fire. There's three categories of reasons why we ought to look up. Will you follow along with me? The number one reason, <laughs> because of them. Number two, because of me. And number three, because of him. We need to look up because of them, because of me, and because of him. Because of them. Let's talk about that one first. Why do we need to see? Why do we need to look up? And why do we need to see the people who are walking around? People that we meet in our everyday life. People in our own home. People that maybe distant relatives. Maybe people that we work with. Why do we need to look up? Why do we need to be concerned? Because there are some disadvantaged people that need us to see them. In verse number 9, it says, Then Jesus, then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou being a Jew askest drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Here's a woman who is a Samaritan. The Jews could care less about them. They could go to hell for all they care. And yet, Jesus cared. And he wanted his disciples to care. <laughs> the woman said, why would you even stop to talk to me anyway? You Jews don't have anything to do with us. Some folks won't hear the gospel if it's not for you. If not you, then who? Some folks will never be saved unless they hear the gospel. And you might be the one that can reach that disadvantaged person. Who's disadvantaged? People that can't get to church. People that don't want to come to church. People that don't have a Bible. People that don't read. People that don't care. People who have a different purpose in life. And like Solomon, they're looking for pleasure, pleasure in every area of life except the right one. And because of them, because they're disadvantaged, they're not going to, not, not many of them are going to be looking for Jesus. Can I just tell you that? If, you, if you're a would-be soul winner, if you think, well, maybe I'll tell somebody about Jesus, I want you to know that most of them don't really care. And it's because of that disadvantage, that disability of not caring and not knowing, not even having a strong desire to know what the Bible says. That's where we can't come in. They won't hear the gospel if I 
and you miss the opportunity. Your loved ones may not have anybody else to tell them except you. You may see some people that nobody else cares about. Somebody that's just kind of an outcast, disadvantaged people that may not hear the gospel. The people in India are disadvantaged. That little boy touched my heart. Others that would come up, we had a big tent set up, and probably two or 3,000 people or more that we were preaching to at night. And, and between sermons, uh, we'd go get a drink or something and we'd leave the platform and there would be Indian people that would come around us immediately and ask us to pray for them. They were sick. They had disease. They had infirmities. Some crippled, some deaf, some couldn't see. And they'd always come up continually. Every time between messages, they'd come up and, and, and ask, would you please pray for me? I've got this or I've got that. Would you pray for me? <coughs> they don't have a church on every corner there. That's why we have ministries in India. That's why we send people like Brother Elvis Sneathern. That's why Paul and Dee visit around churches to try to get support for India. That's why we support Matthew Henry and Elvis Sneathern and the others who go to India because they're disadvantaged people. They won't hear. They don't know. Some of them, many of them, when we talk to them about the Lord, they've never heard of Jesus before. They don't know. They're disadvantaged. You have people who are disadvantaged that you know and they desperately need us to look up and see them. Why else should we look up? Because of the longing of souls. Look in our text again. We, we'll see this right in our text. Verse 13 and 14. <clears throat> in verses, we didn't read this part. Back in verse 13, Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life. And the woman said, in verse 15, the woman saith unto him, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. She had a longing in her soul. She didn't know who Jesus was up until this point. She knew there must be a Messiah, but she didn't know who. But she had the longing in her soul. And because people have a longing in their soul, they have a, there's a lot of people who have a desire. Like the Philippian jailer, man, he, he was ready to be saved. But he needed somebody to tell him how. The longing of souls. And why else do we need to look up? Well, because of the sinfulness of people. People need their sins taken care of. And there's only one way to do it. Verse number 18 Jesus is talking to this woman he, and she's trying to keep him off the subject. But he goes straight for her sin. He said in verse number 18, for thou hast had five husbands. He, asked her, he said, go call your husband. She said, I have no husband. He said, in that thou saidest truly. He said, for thou hast had five husbands and whom thou now hast is not thy husband. In that, in that thou saidest thou truly. He's saying, look, I know you've, you've, had, you've had your affairs, you've had your flings, you've had your men, and all the men in the city know about you. You had five husbands, and the one you got now you're not even married to. He, he's zeroing in on her sin. See, a lot of people don't realize that they have a sin problem, and we need to look up and see them because they don't know what's sending them to a devil's hell. And it's the sin that has got them separated from God. In Matthew 121, we talk about this time of year, the birth of Jesus. In verse number 21 of Matthew 1, it says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. He didn't come to give you a happier life. Although you get saved, you'll probably have one. He didn't come to make you more successful, though generally speaking, when you get saved, you'll be more successful. He didn't come to give you the mate or the job or anything else 
Primarily, primarily he came to save you from your sins. That's what keeps us away from God. In Acts 26, 18, it says that he came to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. It's the sin that has separated them. They need their sin taken care of. Some people think if they just turn over a new leaf or they start going to church or, or they start just being good to people that they'll probably make it to heaven. Not true. Not one single soul will go to heaven because of those things. Not one single soul will go to heaven because they got in the baptistry. Not one single soul will come uh, to this altar and unless God's included in it, unless they accept Jesus and the gospel, they can come to an altar and they can join a church and they'll still be lost and go to a devil's hell. Sin has to be dealt with. And Jesus came to die for people's sin. It was his substitutionary death on the cross. It was that blood. Without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. He shed his blood so that they could have their sins removed. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. When you get saved, you take off the old robe of sin and Jesus puts his robe of righteousness on you. And that's what people need. And that's why we need to look up because people don't understand in general that their sin is keeping them from God. Why else do we need to look up? It's because of sin that he came into the world and to reach the whole earth. The, the Bible says in that famous verse, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The whole world. God wants people saved in Circe and he wants people saved on the other side of the globe. And that's why we need to look up our eyes. We'll see people in Cersei that we can witness to, but we'll also be interested in faith promise missions. And as we give to that, it makes its way across the ocean. So those people who gave up their life in the States and went over there to work for the Lord can win people to Christ. In Manila, the Philippines, we were preaching in a conference largely about evangelism. <laughs> and we spent one night in the hotel, the, the church, Gil Lorena's church, we support him and his work uh, through Liberty Baptist Church. Gil Lorena uh, sent a driver over to the hotel to pick up the preachers and bring them over to the conference. And so we're standing out on the front steps. The large hotel looked like maybe 50 steps from the lobby level down to the street, just step after step, wide steps. I guess they were probably 100 feet wide. And we're all standing up at the top and waiting on that ride that Brother Lorena was sending to pick us up to take us to the conference that morning. And I just kind of walking around over the steps while those guys were talking. I mean, there wasn't anything else to do. Nobody had coffee. And so I'm just walking back and forth over those steps, kind of by myself. And a taxi cab pulled up to the curb and looked up at me. He said, hey, you guys need a ride. And I said, no, the, we're preaching at a church, and they're sending a, a bus over to pick us up. And he said, oh, okay. And then it dawned on me, I'll probably at least give him a tract, you know. I ain't got time to witness to him. I'm going to, a, I'm going to a conference on how to win souls. I ain't got time to fool with him. So I took out a tract and handed it to him, started to walk away, and the Holy Spirit gripped my heart. I said, wait a minute, you're going to a conference on soul winning, and you hadn't got time for him? And so I turned around, and this man got out of his cab. He's standing there, and he's got that track, gospel tract open. He's reading about how to be saved. I thought, well, the bus is not here anyway. I might as well talk to him. And so I began to talk to him. I said, Do you, you begin to understand that? And he said, well, I've got some questions about some of this. And I said, okay, shoot, let's talk. And so he began to ask me some questions. And I just thought, well, no use uh, leaving him standing here with the track. I'll just go ahead and witness to him, you know. And so I told him about the Lord and his substitutionary death and how he could be saved if he'd trust the Lord Jesus as his Savior. And the man got saved right on the busy sidewalk in Manila 
where millions of people are scurrying about, not knowing they need a Savior, but there's a man who had a need. I didn't look up from my own business at first till the Holy Spirit said, hey, look up. Look over here. Here's somebody you need to talk to. And the man got saved, not because there was a, a willing evangelist, it was because there was a Jonah that couldn't get away from God, but he got saved. Jesus came to seek the lost all over the world. But there's another reason that we must look up. Sin has separated them from God, and His blood redeems them. Isaiah 59 and two, verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not hear. You know, God's not interested in the prayers of people that won't ask Him the one most necessary prayer. The most necessary prayer is the one in Romans where He says, uh, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He wants to hear that prayer. Now, I'm not saying God never answered a prayer for a lost man. I think I've probably had one or two. Not because he was obligated to me, because I wasn't even his child at that point. But what I am saying is God's not interested in just make-believe Christianity, where you make-believe that you're a Christian and you just pray. He wants to hear that most important thing of all. Will you be my Savior? That's what he wants you to, wants you to pray. And that's what he wants us to see and those around us, that their sin has separated them from God. And so the first big reason to be concerned about the harvest of souls is them. Because they'll die and go to hell if something doesn't reach them with the gospel. Now the second one is because of me. Because of them, and then because of me, I need to lift up my eyes and I need to see the harvest that Jesus saw that day. I need to see the harvest that he told his disciples they need to see that day because of me. You know, well, I'm already saved. Well, when we apply that personal pronoun, me, to seeing the harvest in the fields, that makes me responsible. That connects me to that. That makes me need see the fields why do we need to see it why do I personally and you personally why do we need to see those fields white under harvest because of your unique knowledge look at verse number 21 and 22 in our text verse 21 <clears throat> Jesus saith unto her woman believe me the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship, you know not what. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. The Messiah came through the Jews. He was a Jew. You know. You already know. You're saved. You know that just believing on God doesn't get you to heaven. The Bible says the devils believe and tremble. So just believing that God exists is not going to get anybody to heaven. Being spiritual is not going to get anybody to heaven. I told you this morning I was trying to get some work done in my old chicken house shed before I have the surgery on Tuesday because I won't be able to do anything like that for a while. So I got a man working on emptying all the junk out and then tearing about 10 feet off of the end of that building to get it uh, back away from the driveway far enough that I can back a trailer in and make it usable. And he had another guy working for him. That guy was out there working yesterday, and and I got to talking to him about the Lord. I gave him testimony of somebody that had gotten saved, and and uh, and I invited him to church. And he said, "Well, I appreciate you inviting me." He said, I, <clears throat> I, "I'm not really that way into the Bible and stuff." He said, "Now I'm a spiritual person." A lot of people think being spiritual is good. Do you know that believing on demons is spiritual? Believing in ghosts is spiritual. Practicing with Ouija boards and soothsayers and tarot cards, that's all spiritual, but it's not salvational. The only kind of spirituality that will get somebody into heaven is the spirituality of receiving Jesus Christ as Savior. 
And so people will tell you they're spiritual. But you have a unique knowledge. You know that all of that stuff is, is not good enough. You know that working for salvation won't get you to heaven. And so <laughs> religion, this woman had religion. <clears throat> this woman at the well said, hey, we, we, we're Samaritans. We believe you ought to worship on that mountain over there. And you Jews say you ought to worship down yonder. And, and we've got our own religion. <laughs> he said, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he said, you worship, you know not what. People think they know what they worship. Unfortunately, it's not the Jesus of the Bible. You know something that they don't know. Here's the point. <clears throat> Since you know how salvation comes, it, believe, it comes by believing on what Jesus did on the cross. Period. And so you have a unique knowledge that many out there don't have. And they need you and you need to be responsible because you have that knowledge. I've got something. That, it, what, what, if, what if I was a doctor, a research scientist, and I found a cure for cancer? I said, you know, I don't see that this is a big deal. I'm not even going to tell anybody about it. I'm not going to share it with anybody. And there's people that are dying all over the place with cancer, and I wouldn't share the cure for cancer, what would you think about me? Well, what about a Christian that has the cure for hell, the knowledge, that unique knowledge that Jesus died and he's already paid for our sins. All we have to do is receive it. What if we've got that knowledge and we don't share it? We have a unique knowledge. And because of that unique knowledge, that puts me in a very serious position of being responsible to tell others. And you too. There's another reason that I need to look up because of me. And it's because of the need of recruitment of a workforce. Do you know that when Jesus won that woman at the well, that was one witness, Jesus himself, and one sinner, one-on-one, -on -one, that's not insignificant, but let me tell you something. With over 8 billion people in the world, one person trying to win everybody in the world to Christ, it ain't going to happen. And so when that woman found out how to be saved, she went back to town and began to testify. She said, hey! She went back to all those men who she had probably had illicit relations with and, and people who would find it hard to believe her in the first place, she goes and tells them, let me tell you, I'm a changed woman. There's somebody I met and he forgave my sins. He changed me. He made me different. I'm not who I used to be. And because I'm not who I used to be and because the one I met changed me, you need to know him too. And so she goes and tells all those men in town, probably didn't have a big audience of women because she'd been fooling around with their husbands. And they probably didn't like her very much. But here's a changed woman. And she spoke to the ones who would listen. And here they come. They come to meet Jesus. He's out there waiting for them. And he's waiting for people that you and I can bring to him. And when we get one soul saved, listen, when we get one soul saved, that's added one more to the workforce. Now instead of one person reaching one person, we've got two people that can reach two people. And we keep adding to the workforce and we're able to cover more territory and get more people saved for the glory of God and to keep people out of hell. She went back to town and told everybody. In Luke chapter 10, verse 2, <clears throat> Jesus is speaking about this very thing. He says, Therefore said he unto them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into the harvest. You know what would, you know what would work better than me winning somebody to Christ? If I could convince everybody in this room to go win somebody to Christ. That doesn't relieve me from my responsibility from witnessing. But it, wouldn't it be a greater outreach if I convinced several people to go out and win somebody to the Lord? They'd get, more, they'd get more souls into the kingdom of heaven than I could get in by myself. That's why I'm preaching this series of messages. Marcus and I, Brother Al, Marcus and I, several years ago, were at, we were out visiting and we knocked on a guy's door that, that knew Marcus. Well, Marcus knows everybody in Cersei. But, 
but we knocked on this one fellow's door, and they used to run around together and used to be friends before Marcus got saved. And, and when Marcus told this fellow that he was going to church and telling people about Jesus, this man got still and quiet and said, tell me more. He could see Marcus was changed. And because of Marcus's testimony for Christ, he was willing to listen. And he bowed his head and prayed and asked the Lord to save him because the testimony of somebody had a changed life. This woman at the well of Samaria went back and told all those people in town, God has changed me. Something great has happened and you need to meet him too. That's what we need. We need people who will have a testimony of a changed life that will reach out and bring more people in. See, if I'm not faithful, I can't expect people to listen to me very well. Isn't that true? If I'm not faithful, why would they want to listen to me? This woman had a changed life. Why else? How else does this affect me in looking up and seeing this harvest? Well, there's a reason that it's kind of rewarding to me and to you if we become that active soul winner. And it's the rewards that are attached to it. There's more than just went that, that person who got saved, their soul's going to heaven. That makes it worth it all. But there's more rewards than that. There's a satisfaction in your soul if you know that you were helpful and leading somebody to Christ. Look, I can't save anybody, but I can take them by the hand and lead them to the guy I know who can save them. That's what we do. We get satisfaction from knowing that we've been instrumental in leading somebody to the Lord. John 4, 32. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that you know not of. That's satisfaction. He said, what I'm feeling right now, because this woman got saved, <laughs> that's better than eating a steak dinner. This is better than a grilled ribeye. This is better than a baked potato smothered in butter. This is better than coffee. Well, let's don't get carried away, but you get the point. <clears throat> he said, I have meat to eat that you know not of. Therefore the disciples said one to another, Hath any man brought him out, out to eat? And Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. When we get to the point where we're willing to miss a meal to lead somebody to the Lord Jesus, we're on to something. Why me? Because the fields are white under harvest. That means that harvest is going to soon perish. It'll rot in the fields. It'll be destroyed eternally. When we win somebody the Lord Jesus, we get the satisfaction of knowing they're going to heaven we get the satisfaction that God may just say to us, join us in rejoicing. We rejoice up here in heaven when we see a sinner repent. <laughs> we have a pretty good time. In fact, angels doing cartwheels. That's in the Greek. You've got to read it that way. <laughs> angels doing cartwheels. Old prophets of old are shouting. They're having a good time because somebody repented and came to Christ. <laughs> I, always, I always remember, and I've told it before, but you just pretend you hadn't heard it. I remember the first fellow that I witnessed to that got saved, old Roy Shaver. This was up in the hills and sticks up in, Ar in uh, Izzard County, Arkansas. We just, I'd just been saved a little while, and most of the other guys in the church, it was my age, we were in our 20s and 30s, and, and we hadn't, hadn't been saved very long. And we're just, you know, Brother Sneathern's trying to teach us to be soul winners, and, and so we're just now getting a little bit excited about it. We didn't know exactly how to do it. And he, he was teaching us, showing us how to mark it in our Bible or in the New Testament, you know, how to go from one verse to the other to show somebody they're lost and that Jesus died for them and he'll save them if they just trust him. And so I had all those things marked in my, in my New Testament. And we go up to Roy Shaver's old house. Brother Sneathan said, we're asking on Thursday night, we was going out to go visiting. And, he, and there, you know, you don't go door to door, you go hill to hill. And, uh, and so we asked, Brother Sneathan, where do you want us to go? Uh, Brother Dennis Reeves and me he said, where do you want us to go tonight? He said, why don't you go visit old Roy Shaver? He said, I hadn't, uh, hadn't seen him in a long time, but I know he needs to get saved. Go, go and visit him. And so we went and 
drove up in Roy's front yard and parked and got out. Him and his wife sitting out on the front porch. They were, they were old souls. This has been a long time ago. And they're sitting out on the front porch like old people used to do, sitting in rocking chairs, you know, in, in the cool of the evening. The sun's just about gone down, and, and it's cooling off. And they're sitting out there and, and probably been working in the garden or something. They're sitting on the front porch. And so Dennis and I got out and walked up on the porch, and, and he knew us and everything. We said, well, we came, came to pay you a visit. Roy, he said, oh, sit down, sit down, boys. And so we sat down, and we, we small talked for a little bit. And, and then uh, I said, Roy, and I wasn't very smooth at all of this, but I, I said, Roy, we came to talk to you about the Lord. He said, oh, well, okay. And his wife, very wisely, she was a Christian. His wife got up, she still had her apron on from washing supper dishes and stuff, and and she, was all, she knew why we were there. We were there to win her husband to the Lord. And she knew in, in her Christian wisdom, she knew it would be better if she just dismissed herself. And so she got up and kind of smiling. She said, well, i got to go back in and finish up. And, and so she went back through the screen door and left us there alone with old Roy. She knew that he'd open up a little bit better if she wasn't out there. So we, we led old Roy through some scriptures. Now, here's Roy. We're, we're in our 20s and 30s, and Roy's probably 60 or 70, maybe older, and uh, just an old retired farmer. And so we went through the plan of salvation with him from the Bible. And got down to the end of it, and I said, Roy, isn't that good news that Jesus died for you and he'd save you if you was to ask him? And he said, yeah, yeah, that's pretty good news. I said, well, why don't we just do it? Would you be willing to pray and ask him to save you? He said, well, boys, I've been thinking about doing that anyway. He said, let's just do it. And so he bowed his head and asked the Lord to save him right there on the front porch. And, and when we got finished, you know, and gave him some assurance verses and stuff, then we packed up our Bible and went and got in the car. And we left like gentlemen. I mean, we're, we're walking like, you know, we're cool. We get in the car and drive down the road about, about a quarter of a mile and we cut loose at the same time. Yahoo! <laughs> and we're having us a time. Here's what the angels do in heaven. When somebody gets saved, they do some rejoicing. And man, we were shouting and hollering, and we was having a good time. I think we might have run off of the road a time or two while we was having a shouting spell because old Roy got saved. First soul I ever got, got to see saved. And man, it was exciting. And that gets, in your, that gets in your blood. That gets in your system. And you want to see it again and again and again. And you want to be able to tell more people about Jesus and that he's willing to save them if they're willing to let him. <clears throat> John 4, 36 says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages. He that reapeth, this white harvest out there of souls, souls ready to be saved. If we can have a part in that harvest, Jesus says, And he that reapeth receiveth wages. Get paid for your work. It pays to serve Jesus. It pays every day. And gathereth fruit unto life eternal. Look, Solomon's having trouble. Solomon's having trouble saying, man, I can't find anything that satisfies me. I'm trying this, trying that, and the other thing. And nothing works. I'm still hungry. I'm still thirsty. I'm still hollow inside. I need to have a purpose for life. Well, Jesus is telling us what a great purpose in life is. He's saying, you can reap a harvest that brings life eternal, fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and that he that reapeth may rejoice together. Isn't that good? That's exactly what we're talking about. You've got a purpose. My purpose ought to be, I ought to see everybody, everybody possible, I ought to want to see them get saved. Bring them in. Bring them in. Let's see them get saved. And he says it'll be like, It'll be like wages stored up in heaven. You can't take it with you, but you can send it ahead of you. And when you win a soul to Christ, you have wages accruing in the bank of heaven. And it's earning interest. And God's not stingy. He can pay good interest on that. He won't end up owing you anything. He'll pay you everything He owes you. We should see the fields concerning me <clears throat> because of the joint effort that's required. <clears throat> Verse 37 through 42. I might not be very important in the eyes of very many people. When I was a kid in grade school, I was scrawny and couldn't play basketball or 
football or baseball, softball. I couldn't play anything much. <clears throat> I could pretend, but I wasn't very skillful and didn't know how to do a lot of those things. When, when, when we were in grade school, those boys would split up. You know, there'd be a captain over here and a captain over here, and they'd take turns choosing somebody to play on their team. I was usually the last one to get chosen. And when, when the captains are looking at each other, and like Brooks is still out there, uh, and one of them said, well, okay, I'll take him. <laughs> well, I might not be very important to people around me, but I can tell you one thing. Anybody that's ever come to Christ because I told them about Jesus got me something in heaven. It got me some rewards in heaven. And when we work together as a team, no matter how little you are, no matter how insignificant you are, when we work together as a church and we go out and witness to people and we try to bring people in, when we work together, that makes us significant. You're somebody. In his body, you're somebody. Psalm 142 and verse number 4 says this. Listen, I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul. There's a lot of people out there that don't have anybody to care for their soul. And you can be the significant one who takes an interest in somebody. You put an arm around them, invite them to church, take opportunity to tell them about Jesus. And you can be that one that cared for their soul. Lots of people don't have anybody that cares for their soul. They can die and go to hell and nobody knows, nobody cares. But because we team up together in church and go after souls, we may not be significant in Dun and Bradstreet, if that even exists anymore. We may not be significant in the Better Business Bureau. We not, might not be significant in the Who's Who or in Time Magazine. But if we've went some souls to Christ because we banded together to see them saved, that makes us significant in God's eyes. Why are we as disciples to look at the harvest? Number three, because of Him. I said because of them, they're disadvantaged, they need us. Because of me, because we need to please God. We need to earn some rewards by telling them. And number three, because of Him. Because of the will of the Father. Verse number 34. Look at it in our text. Verse number 34. It says, For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. There is a will of God. You might not know everything that God wants out of you in your life. But you do need to know that he wants you to tell people about Jesus. It's the will of the Father. Why else do we take into account Him when we're talking about reaching out and looking up to people? Because of the false religions. This woman was a member of a false religion. Because of the limited time of harvest. In verse number 35 it says, um, let's see. Let me go back to Ecclesiastes. We've been... There this morning in chapter 3 and verse number 1, when it said, to, every, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under heaven. There is a season to win people to Christ, but that season will pass. In Jeremiah 8.20, it says this, the harvest is past, the summer is ended, and we are not saved. The nation of Israel had defied God. He offered them opportunity after opportunity to repent as a nation. They thumbed their nose at God and brushed Him off. And finally, the time of repentance was past, and they were carried away into captivity in Babylon. And Jeremiah is saying, Lord, Lord, 
Can't you hear their cries? Don't you hear them weeping? They need you, Lord. And God answered him and said, basically it's too late. I gave them opportunity to repent time and time again. The harvest is past. Summer's ended and we're not saved. I think it's going to be that way in this church age. There's people who have thumbed their nose at God, failed to hear about Him, didn't have somebody that cared for their soul, and they too will say something like, the harvest is ended, summer's over, and we're not saved. People on their deathbed who didn't know Jesus as Savior have cried out in terror and fear that they're not saved. You see, it, it will all be over one of these days. But right now, the field is still white to harvest. But it won't be. When we get to the end of this age, it's done. People that had an opportunity to repent, they've sinned away their day of grace, their chances will be gone. Perhaps as some of our loved ones and our families if we don't take advantage to look up and see that the fields are white under harvest, the harvest is largely going to be lost. Souls will be in hell and there won't be any recourse. There won't be any, any way that they'll ever be brought out. I wish it weren't so, but that's the way it is scripturally. So that puts it on your back and my back to look up and see the fields white unto harvest. Can we pray together? Father, we pray that you'd bless us as we go into this invitation time. Lord, help us to see the great need to tell others about Jesus.